Hello, today we come to the book of Revelation and uh, we're coming to Revelation and chapter 4. You might ask, well, well, why are we coming to this? It's because it's one of those glimpses of heaven that we read in scripture and it's a very dramatic one, it's a powerful one, it's a glorious one, which of course is no surprise because it is talking about heaven. But of course there will be gathered into this scene in the fullness of time a number that cannot be counted. Now we appreciate in many of the churches at the moment uh, meeting uh, during the time of uh, some degree of lockdown still, uh, you look around and you can count how many people are there fairly easily. But uh, it's just good to remind ourselves that that's not how it's always going to be. Uh, we are heading for a situation where we will see the glory of God and there will be a number that cannot be counted around the throne of God, worshipping the Lamb of God, praising the Lord Jesus and worshipping him as he thoroughly deserves. John, of course, has uh, had a revelation of Jesus right at the beginning of the uh, book and he describes it so powerfully for us, the whole face of Jesus, the uh, sword coming out of his mouth, uh, the uh, whole sort of uh, bronze and glowing uh, of his feet, just uh, holy, majestic and powerful. And we're going to have another glimpse of, of Jesus, in fact, uh, as we look through this passage. But uh, John hears a voice saying, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. John is going to have more revelation of what is to come. Now, of course, if you read the whole of the book of Revelation, you're aware that uh, quite a lot of what's to come is pretty grim in terms of uh, judgments, in terms of plagues, in terms of all sorts of awful things happening in the very latter times before Jesus returns. But uh, here is one of those special glimpses, not of gloom and doom, but uh, a picture of God ruling and reigning and being in full charge. And uh, it's really important to keep remembering that, especially when events in our world are so uncertain, especially when there's uh, so much destruction uh, so much hardship, poverty, many different issues facing people, it's good to remember that God indeed is sovereign. And John says that he was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So two things that we see quite clearly at the beginning of this chapter is that John is showed something Something is revealed to him and uh, we won't know anything of things of God unless they're shown to us. We need God to open our eyes to help us to see who he is and what he wants to say to us. But then we also see he's in the spirit and uh, it's really great for us as believers having been given a revelation of God, having received the gospel our eyes open to our sin and our eyes and ears open to the reality of Christ dying for us, rising from the dead so that we might be saved. 
Well, we need that revelation, but then having had that revelation, you need to walk in the Holy Spirit in order that you can benefit continually from the revelation. I mean, if a revelation, however glorious, is ancient history, that's not really going to help you much in the here and now. It's really, really important just to be able to grasp here and now what God is saying and doing. And the Holy Spirit was given so that we could have a fellowship, a walk with God right now. And therefore, though we can recall wonderful revelation, wonderful moments of the grace of God, essentially, we need that uh, ongoing work of the Spirit that keeps reminding us and drawing us back to the Saviour who loves us and has given himself for us. Now, John says that he sees a throne in heaven. This is very important because clearly the throne speaks of uh, majesty. The throne speaks of authority. It speaks of ruling and reigning. It speaks that uh, someone's in charge. And it's ever so important, isn't it, to keep reminding ourselves that God indeed is in charge and it's good to know that there is an authority that is higher than any other and we have access to it. You know, uh, you might want to go to the Kremlin, you might want to go to the White House, you might want to go to number 10 Downing Street, you might want to go to Parliament. There are various places where you feel there is a seat of authority where, where people do have some power to uh, execute decisions to follow through policies, but we know that there is somewhere higher than any, any throne on earth. And uh, we know in the book of Hebrews, we're encouraged that we can draw near to this throne and we can draw near uh, and uh, bring our supplications, bring our requests. We can come humbly before the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And uh, it's good to avail ourselves of that every single day of our lives. We don't need a special ticket. I mean, there are some places you wouldn't be able to get access, only perhaps maybe even once in a lifetime. But we have the joy of being able to have access to the very presence of God every single moment of every single day. We can come with humility and stand before our God and we can worship him and honour him and we can receive from him. But uh, you need someone to be sitting on the throne. I mean, after all, however historic it might be to visit some place of power, uh, if there's no one there, then of course that's going to be very difficult to get anything done. However, we know that there is someone on the throne. And uh, John describes events and things which uh, are also in the book of Daniel, in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, they're, they're pictures that show us that the one on the throne is truly glorious, magnificent and wonderful. The one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne, and surrounding the throne, there are these other thrones. 
which is just a little picture that uh, we have been described as kings and priests unto our God and that uh, we also will rule and reign with Christ ultimately, which seems absolutely amazing that uh, we who sinned and rebelled against God turned our backs against him and vehemently, perhaps for a short time or a long time before we came to Christ, didn't want anything to do with him, didn't submit to his authority, uh, were rebellious towards him. But we, having humbled ourselves, received salvation, that one day we will be given some responsibility in uh, the ruling and reigning over uh, everything that God has made, the new heavens, the new earth. I can't tell you much about it, but uh, you're going to have plenty of time to find out about it because it's in eternity. But it is a glorious scene. And uh, this sense of the glory of God and the wonder of God is described here so powerfully. Uh, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder in front of the throne. Seven lamps were blazing. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. It's breathtaking. It's fairly breathtaking to read it, isn't it? But uh, to see it, just absolutely stunning. Just the whole majesty over it, the whole sense of uh, glory about it. It really is so, so profound, so difficult to adequately describe. But of course, we're looking at a, a heavenly situation. This glory is such a stranger to the earth with the violence and with the devastation and with the rebellion and the hatred and the bitterness and the jealousy and all of those things that pervade over our earth. But uh, we're now looking to heaven. We're now looking into that sphere where there is no sin and there is no temptation. There's no death. There's no suffering. There's no devil. He's been well put out of the picture. Uh, this is a glorious, glorious scene. And just the whole sense of it, in one way, it looks quite frightening. I don't know about you, but uh, if you hear a thunderclap and you're not expecting it, generally you kind of jump because, uh, you know, that, that's a normal reaction. And we know that when John has the first vision of Jesus in chapter one, he falls at his feet as though dead. Uh, it truly is stunning. But the great thing is, is that though this scene is incredible, just so, so uh, wonderful, to actually describe, we will be able to observe this scene because we've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. We will be dressed in clothes of righteousness. And though it will still be breathtaking, although it will still fill our hearts with wonder, praise and worship, it will also be very clear that we are meant to be there. You won't feel out of it. You won't feel out of it. That's why, sadly, people who don't love Jesus, well, they would feel out of it. They would just not sort of uh, feel comfortable in this sort of setting at all. But for us, because of the grace of God, this scene, which is a bit different from uh, what we experience here on earth, but this scene, we're just going to feel totally at peace.
totally happy, totally a fit into that. We won't feel out of place because of the wonderful grace of God. And then we read that there are these four living creatures, the lion, the ox, the face like a man, the fourth like a flying eagle. Uh, these pictures again, uh, we certainly see them in Ezekiel and they occur in other uh, prophetic settings and they just remind us that you can never sum up God in one word uh, and uh, you can't sum him up in many words but uh, this is always the majesty of our God. He is almost indescribable in his greatness, in his power it's not easy to put into words and say, well, that's it. I've described God. You can't do that. But these words and these pictures are an attempt. The lion, as we read about, that sense of authority, that sense of, of uh, just uh, being in charge, uh, king of the jungle, uh, the king of the beasts, as it were. And uh, we know that our Lord God is a lion with teeth. He's a lion that is ruling and reigning, praise the Lord. And then we see that the second was like an ox. And uh, an ox you associate strength with. Now we know the lion is strong, but uh, the ox is very much a symbol of enormous strength. And uh, that, that is a great comfort, in fact. You know, if you're in a situation and you're feeling a bit vulnerable and there's someone strong standing beside you who can hold back that thing that's about to fall on you or can uh, help you across a situation which you can't cover, strength, strength in someone is very vital. But the strength of God, there is, is you can't measure it. You can't sort of... Uh, there's no, there's no dimension, there's no sort of statistic that you can use, there's no evaluation that you can put to the strength of God. I mean, some of us who go to the gym, we look very carefully at what you can lift and uh, you need to be very wise because although there can be a very considerable weight, uh, you perhaps think, hmm, I won't do that, that's not going to do much good to me. And so we, we have to limit in terms of the strength that we have. What are we going to pick up and, uh, and so on. But with God, there is immeasurable strength. There's just no limit to the strength of purpose, the strength of being that he has. And of course, when someone is on your side, that strength brings great security. We know that even before we get to heaven... He is able to strengthen us and help us to stand in the evil day. And so we praise God that he is a God of great strength. We read that the third was the face like a man. And of course, we're always reminded of the wonder of almighty God, maker of heaven and earth, in charge of the whole universe. Nothing impossible to him, no limits. He can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it. But here we also are reminded that our incredible God, he became man for us. Jesus is the one sitting on the throne. It's Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, who 
is there for us, interceding for us. He's the one who is on our side. He's the one who understands our human weakness because he truly is man. And yet he's truly God and we praise him and worship him. So there is the roar of the lion in utter control and authority. There is the strength of the ox that nothing is impossible to him. And then there is the, the man Christ Jesus who's there to say, ah, this one, yeah, I know they're a sinner. I know they've got loads of weaknesses, but they're mine. It's just a wonderful picture of uh, as we come into the eternal sphere of Jesus spotting you, as it were, at the door of heaven and saying, yeah, you come in, you come in. And others might say, why is he coming in? Why is she coming in? But Jesus would say, no, no, you come in because you are covered by my blood. You received me as saviour when you were on earth and now you are welcome here. This is for you. Jesus, the door, Jesus, the way, the truth and the life. And then the fourth one is the flying eagle. And this just reminds us again, it can remind you of many things. But uh, I believe that uh, one commentary I was looking at, just this whole strength of, uh, of being able to fly around and move around gracefully, anywhere, everywhere, very, very quickly. And we are, again, uh, there's other pictures that can illustrate this, but we are in the presence of a God who is everywhere. You know, sometimes when you go to a big party, you see people talking and, uh, you know, they, they seem uh, to have got in with an in crowd and, uh, and you're standing there on your own and uh, maybe you're just feeling a little bit out of place. You will never feel that in heaven. Jesus, the King of Kings, he is present with you. So no one's going to be on the edge. No one's going to sort of be looking a bit glum as if everyone's having a great time. What's happening for me? We'll all get caught up in it because the eagle flies around the presence of God everywhere. Nowhere untouched. Everywhere. Everywhere in the heavenly sphere is saturated with the presence and with the power of God. And then we read, Holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John is being given this picture of heaven, this real place. Never see it in a mystical way. I mean, sometimes the business of harps and clouds and great feasts and all sorts of things, they can be very sort of human pictures, just using our own mentality. Remember, heaven is beyond your mind and certainly way beyond my mind. But what we're seeing and what we're experiencing, what John is tasting here, is a God who is holy. And remember, holy means to be separate. He's just so different to anybody else. The absolute purity of God. You know, you can live a reasonably pure life, but uh, we know there's a little bit of stain there at times. We know it's like there's a little bit of rubbish that's trying to get into things and uh, slightly spoiling what's going on. But with God, there are no impurities whatsoever. There's no uh, sleight of hand. There's no uh, motive that can be questioned. Absolute purity. 
absolute perfection right throughout everything that makes up the person that we call God. Uh, this is just wonderful. This is just powerful. And uh, we know that his holiness has meant that our sin had to be dealt with. I mean, you just can't come into the presence of God if your sins haven't been taken away. It's impossible. You would just uh, evaporate. You, you'd just be sort of totally uh, taken out of the seed, disintegrate because of the beauty, the glory of the holiness of God. But again, we are privileged to be able to look at this and one day we will be there because Jesus has been uh, giving his blood and laying down his life for us. And so what's the sort of uh, ultimate sort of expression? Well, we read that uh, the 24 elders on those thrones sit down uh, and uh, they're worshipping him who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Now I know this song of praise and worship is attributed to the 24 elders, but uh, I believe it's the song of heaven for every single one of us. You are worthy, O Lord, because that's what heaven is all about. It's about him and his worthiness. There, there won't be any talk about who you are and what you've done. That's not going to be any eternal conversation. Uh, that, that's unimportant. What is vital is who God is. Created all things. By your will they are created and have their being. God is in charge. And uh, as we just uh, glimpse and as we just have a, a little idea of what heaven is like, we're able to, as it were, fall on our knees and say, Almighty God, we bring you praise. Almighty God, we bow in your presence. Almighty God, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are worthy. Without you, I am totally unworthy. But because of what you've done on the cross, I can be seen as worthy to stand before you. And so let's look forward to that. We know that, uh, as we have uh, shared much earlier, uh, our gatherings together, we know there are limitations at this moment of time. But keep your eye upon a gathering which will have no limitation. Keep your eye on a gathering that will not be distracted by things. A gathering where the glory of God shines brightly moment by moment, where there is one on the throne in utter authority, one who is absolutely beautiful uh, in every single way. Let's bow down and let's worship him, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God bless you.